Welcome to the Washington Church Toledo Podcast. Together, we are learning to encourage one another to walk with God through cultivating a personal relationship with Jesus the Christ. This podcast consists of recordings from our Sunday morning worship services and other teaching events that you are more than welcome to come join us live. Good morning, everybody. It's good to uh, be with you. It's good to be back. I had a, a beautiful time away. I uh, went to a conference, then went to see my parents in, in the Los Angeles area, and uh, it was refreshing and encouraging, and way better weather, um, and really good surf, actually. Uh, so all those things are great things, but it's really good to be back here with you. Uh, this morning, we are going to be in uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 20, uh, Luke 24, and then, then the beginning of the book of Acts. So if you have your Bibles, open up to those passages. Uh, we're going to go through those. We'll also be up on the screens um, as we go, uh, I want to share this with you just to start. There are, I feel like as, as followers of Jesus, we live most of our lives reading and studying the scriptures and less of our lives living it out. And my hope is that this morning we get to live it out, what the text says. And I can tell you that what I'm going to invite us into this morning, I have never been a part of in a church service before growing up in all my years of the church. And I don't know why, but it's, it's what it is. And so uh, to start off this morning, I want to ask you one simple question. And uh, if the answer is yes to this question, then I want to invite you to stand in faith right where you are in your seat. Um, just as an act of, of showing the Lord that, that you're bringing your yes this morning. Um, and this is my, my one question. Do you want more of God? It's okay not to stand. Okay. I'm going to ask the same question at the end of this message. Again, when we get there. After sharing some things with you. And it will mean something, it will be the exact same question, but maybe perhaps with a different outcome. Please have a seat. And if the Lord calls you to stand up during the service, feel free to stand up. I'll just leave it out there. For those of you joining us this morning, we've been going through a series. Actually, the bigger picture, we've been going through um, our vision statement that the Lord has given us over a two-year period, and it's an absolutely beautiful work of art because uh, it's from the Lord. And the whole church came together, and the vision team after that, a, a group of about eight people came together and wrestled with everything that they were given, um, birthed these images that came forward, and from those images came a written statement um, that... If you've been around, we say it at the end of the service, but we're preaching through that. And a part of that statement talks about the power of God and through the Holy Spirit. Um, and, and so we're doing this series on the power of God. And I want to back up and just kind of recap some of the things that we talked about in, before we get to uh, John 20. And that is um, the first thing, power has four characteristics. So I'm going to put it up on the screen and just go through these really quick just to bring everybody up to speed. Number one, power has a source. All power comes from God. What you see working, manifest, it, it, it looks very different depending on, on what goes on, and we'll talk about that. Um, next month, we're going to talk, talk about the Holy Spirit. Number two, uh, ability. Power gives ability, the ability to do that power. Okay? You can have power, but the lack of the ability, and then that power is almost useless or worthless. Number three, power has a right, okay? So with that, having power 
requires the right to use that power. Okay, the scriptures call that in Greek exousia. Okay, dunamis is power, exousia is the authority to use that power. And you'll see throughout the, the scriptures, especially in the New Testament, that idea of authority coming up around the person of Jesus. They'll say this man has, speaks as one with authority. That's what they're talking about. And then finally, all power has a purpose. There's nothing that is wasted with God. And if you're here this morning and you're wrestling in life or your relationship with the Lord, I can tell you there is nothing going on that God wastes. God uses everything. And so everything, all of that purpose is always to advance the kingdom of God. Okay, so those are the four principles. Now, the flow of power as far as how it worked, we looked at that and you can go to the next slide. The first thing we see is God. All the source is always from the Lord. Okay? The source of power always from, comes from God. But God's desire was ultimately to hand that power over to humanity. And we see that in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. That God empowers Adam and Eve, the human beings, to rule over the earth, have dominion. That authority comes only from God and exclusively from God. And the ability to act out that authority is given to them. But we see in Genesis chapter 3 that, that power and authority is, is swindled from them. And actually they hand it over to the evil one, to Satan. And then the scriptures talk about this in many different places, that Satan has dominion over the earth, that he's the ruler of the earth. That's where it comes from, from the authority and the power that he stole or, or was given by Adam and Eve in the garden. And then Jesus comes to redeem that power. Because in God's sovereignty, God's decided that power was given to human beings, the human beings lost that power, and so only through a human being can that power be reclaimed in the form of a perfect human, which was Jesus Christ. So Jesus comes, he gives his life for us, he shows us how to live, and he creates an ability for humanity to be reconciled with God. And in that reconciliation process, he reclaims the power and the authority that God had originally given to the human beings. And as a human being, he takes it back. Amen? And then his desire is to give it back to humanity again because that was God's original plan. And so Jesus wants to fulfill the original plan the Trinity set up before time began. And so that's exactly what he does. This morning, we are going to look at what that looks like for us in 2022. For each and every one of us as followers of Jesus. And if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, you're invited to be a part of this as well. So that's what we learn about the power flow of humanity. 1 Corinthians 3.16, Paul says this, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? The very Spirit of God indwells in us as followers of Jesus. When we give our lives to Christ as our Lord and Savior, the Spirit comes and indwells us. The very presence of God lives within us. When does this take place? Now we go to the Gospel of John, chapter 20. I always wrestled with this passage because I didn't know what to do with John 20 and then Acts chapter 2 because I, I felt like they were one and the same, or, or were they contradictions to one another, and I finally had a deeper understanding of what that looked like and what that meant. In John chapter 20, verse 21 and 22, Jesus has, has been resurrected from the dead. He's conquered sin and death, and he's teaching his disciples, and he spends 40 days with them. Not only his disciples, but even a greater amount of number of people that he gathers together, and he teaches them 
And actually, most of what he teaches them is about the kingdom of God, which we're going to talk about, I think, in June. We'll get to the kingdom of God, because that's also a part of our vision statement. Advancing the kingdom of God, that's what every believer is called to do. And this is what he says to them. This has always been a mystery to me. He says this, again, Jesus said, peace be with you. And this is what he says after I think he walks through a wall. So I think if, if, it, if Jesus showed up here today and he walked through a wall, I think I'd need the peace of God to settle me as well. So this is what he offers. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. In this moment of time in history, the Holy Spirit comes into those who believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior. And in this moment, what we would consider Christians are what the disciples become, for lack of, of for a simplistic way of describing what's taking place in, in, this, in this moment. Because a whole other message, which is Jesus didn't come to start Christianity. That's what formed, because we, this is what humans do with things that they don't understand what to do with. But that's what we have now, and we're grateful for that. But in this moment, that's what's taking place. It says that he breathed on them. This word, I believe, only appears in this one place in all of the New Testament. But it harkens back. Uh, there's a Greek version of the Old Testament, if you can track with me, because the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. It was translated into Greek at one point. The Greek translation of the Old Testament is called the Septuagint. In the Septuagint, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, this exact same Greek word is used to describe the creation of humanity. Are you with me? Okay. My five steps to get to that one point. And in that moment, in the Genesis story, you see that God creates humanity out of the dust of the ground, but he forms out of the dust of the ground, and then he breathes life into the human beings. At that moment, they become alive. If you just have the dust and without the breath of God, you have nothing that's animated that will move or do anything. You can set it up, and it's nice to look at, but nothing happens. It's in that moment where God breathes on these people, these human beings, that they come to life. It is the exact same word that John uses from Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, when he says that Jesus breathed on them. And I think what is taking place here is that John is trying to tell us that in this moment when the Holy Spirit comes, a new humanity has also come. Are you with me? Amen, amen, amen. So this is a big moment. This is, this is a moment in history where, and, and Paul talks about this. He says, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. This is not something that you are formed into. That means that this thing didn't exist before, and now it exists. And nothing like it has ever existed before. Adam and Eve weren't like this. The way that the Followers of Jesus indwelled with the Holy Spirit function is, is almost at a greater capacity than has ever existed in all of humanity. And in this moment, that's what takes place. That's what Jesus says is true. So a new creation, a new humanity takes place because the Spirit of God comes and indwells in the human beings that have given their life to Christ. Now, this is not the only time this has been talked about. If you go into Joel chapter 2, verse 28... The prophet Joel talked about a time when this would happen. And this is what he says. He says, go ahead and go to, to Joel. Joel talks about the coming of the Lord. He says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. 
This is what God is saying through the prophet Joel, that he wants to pour his spirit out on all people, all of humanity. It is God's desire that all of humanity would come to know him and have a personal relationship with him. Every single person that comes into an existence that God created intentionally, God's desire is to be in relationship with that person. And he says, at some point, I will pour out my spirit on all people. And then he says, there's descriptions of what happens when the spirit gets poured out. He says, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. So prophecy, dreams, and visions. What we look at in 1 Corinthians, that Paul talks about spiritual gifts will begin to happen. And he links that back to to the giving of the spirit. So when the spirit comes, there's certain things that happen that are probably different than we understand, different than we can relate to, and different than maybe we've ever seen. But God is saying that's a normal thing, by the way, and that's supposed to be taking place. And so that was given in Joel, and the people sat with that promise, and they held on to that promise, and they said, okay, God, you said you'd pour your spirit out on your people. When is that going to happen? Now let's go to the book of, of Luke, chapter 24, There's something super interesting that Jesus says to his disciples. Again, this takes place after his resurrection, and he's teaching them, and he's trying to tell them something that's vitally important for the ministry that they have to do. So it's not that Jesus is resurrected from the dead, sin and death are conquered, and then everything's great, yay. Not at all. It's that now humanity has a second opportunity to redeem itself. It's been redeemed, but it gets to live out what God wanted them to do in the first place. So Jesus says, I'm taken off. And a great gift is coming to you. And it's actually better than I'm gone. And I don't know about you, but I, when I read that passage, I feel like, no, Jesus, I'd rather have you here. <laughs> it seems like it'd be easier if you were here in the flesh. But Jesus says, no, no, no. It's actually better if I leave. Because the Holy Spirit will come. So this is what he says in verse 45 of Luke 24. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. There's like four times in the scriptures where I wish I could be in that scene. This is one of them. I would love nothing more than to have my mind blown away when Jesus opens it and shows me what all of this means. How awesome would that be? He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in, the, in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. So there's a task. He basically says, hey, this had to happen. The Messiah had to come and suffer and die. And even Jews today wrestle with that truth. They, they can't comprehend a Messiah that would sacrifice his life because Messiah is supposed to be the conqueror. But they saw Messiah as the conqueror of the physical. But Jesus says, no, 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 it's about conquering the spiritual world. And when we conquer and take care of the spiritual world, the physical world will fall into line because it will become obedient to it in that way. And so he says, you guys have a task, you have a job to be my witnesses, to tell everybody what you've seen and heard and experienced. And then, but then he says this, I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. So verse 49, Jesus says, I'm going to send something to you. So Jesus is the one who sends it, but it's been promised by the Father. That's what we're told. But we heard about this promise back in Joel, 
Because the prophets spoke about this promise as well. This is not the first time the people of God would be hearing about such a thing. And then he says that you're going to be clothed with power from on high. And that word clothed is literally as you dress yourself, as each one of you got, got ready this morning to come to this place and put on whatever it is you put on. And you all look lovely, by the way. But something about power is going to come over you in the same way that clothes cover you to that extent. This is that same word, dunamis, that we've been talking about for the last four Sundays. So here's the moment that that we're talking about. How does God empower humanity and give power and authority back to the human beings again? And Jesus says, this is the description of what that's going to look like. That you're going to be clothed with power. The power is literally going to come upon you and cover you to such an extent that it's going to feel like clothing. And back in that day, clothing wasn't like it is today. Back in that day, we had garments. They they wore garments that literally covered their entire bodies, that they wore with them. And if you've watched, whether it's The Chosen or some other depictions, you see them walking around in what looks like robes to us. That's what they covered themselves in. So literally, from their neck down to their toes, they are covered with clothing. That's the type of of clothing that Jesus is talking about. But he's relating it to power. That's what he says is going to take place. Because Jesus knew that the calling that they had on their life was to such an extent that if they were to go out and try to do it on their own, that they would fail. Because it was a God calling. It was a kingdom calling. And that kingdom calling can only be accomplished if God was behind it. And and the power of God was on them. God wants them to do it, but he wants it it done in his way. And I don't know about you, but after 20 years of ministry, I can attest to many times of trying to do ministry on my own without the power of God. And sometimes I would get fortunate and see things here and there, but most of the time, a lot of what I've done has fallen on its face. That's been my personal experience. Moving without the movement of God. But this is what Jesus says to them. There's such a daunting call on your life. Literally, it is to take the world for God. But you can't do it on your own as human beings. The only way you can do it is if such a power comes upon you that it wraps itself around you to the extent where you are fully engulfed in it. And this is what Jesus says. And he says, don't even try to do it on your own. Don't leave this place until this happens to you. I don't know about you, but we, we, again, we read these stories and we think, yeah, that's a good story. But what happens when we begin to apply that to our own lives? Have we as followers of Jesus waited for that power to move or have we just moved on our own? Again, as I shared with you, I've done a lot of moving on my own. And I've seen the difference between moving with the Lord and moving with, when just Jimmy shows up. There's a massive difference. Book of Acts, chapter 1. So we know in that, the other thing I want to add is in Luke 24. Luke 24 parallels John 20. And so when Jesus is speaking to them, he's already breathed on them. So the indwelling of the Holy Spirit has already taken place. And yet he still says to them, wait, there's more. Acts chapter 1. And again, these things all kind of parallel themselves. Okay, this is Luke's account Then we have John's account. Then we have Luke's account again in the book of Acts. So Acts chapter 1, Jesus 
has resurrected from the dead and he's hanging out with his disciples. Verse 1, he says this, or we'll start with verse 4. On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised. Again, that same thing he said before. He's saying again, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? I don't know about you, but a long time I've wrestled with what in the world does that mean? So at what point does the Spirit come? Does it come in John? Does it come in Acts? What's the correct, I want to know, what's the correct, just tell me what the correct answer is so I could know. And I had to do a lot of filling out tests and exams. So I, that's, as I studied the scriptures in, in college and in seminary, there was a lot of that. Well, what's the right answer? But I think that's a cultural thing too. And we want to know, well, what's the right answer? And even many people will come to me and say, well, Pastor Jimmy, what's the right answer? He says this, John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. As I reflected on this more and more, and I, I felt like as God has kind of revealed things to me, I began to realize as we walk in faith, there are moments in our faith that I would consider physical and moments that I would say are metaphysical in nature. In other words, transcendent of the physical. That's what metaphysical means, beyond the physical. Let me give you some examples. I remember at six years old, I was at a, a, a version of what we would call VBS at the church I grew up at. And at the end of the week, I was sitting in this tent space after making some craft. I have no idea what it was. And this woman who was dressed up like Mary looked in my eyes and said to me, do you want to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And something stirred in my soul. And I said, yes. And she led me through this prayer of salvation. And I remember something happened. But I look at that as what I would call a metaphysical moment. There wasn't necessarily a physical, tangible expression that took place. The heavens didn't open and part. God didn't appear to me or speak to me in any way. But yet, in faith, I acted. Because that's what I was invited into, and my soul came alive. So something did happen. But I've heard stories of people giving their life to Christ, and addiction is gone. Or healing happens in that moment. Or wrestling with, with something great in their life is just taken away from them. And I've heard people give their life to Christ and almost nothing changes right away. And so in that moment, I would say there's an act of faith, of surrender, because that's what the scriptures tell us we should do in giving our lives to Christ. But there's not necessarily the fireworks in the sky. And then there's acts that God asks us into that, are, that Jesus says we should do like, that are physical. Water baptism is an example of that. And he talks about that. He says, John came and baptized with water. Well, Jesus says that we are, to, as followers of Jesus, we are to be baptized with water. And so that's a physical act where we climb into water and we are submersed into it or sprinkled over us. And the church has done this differently for different years. And for the life of me, I have no idea why it's an issue. And, but we like to fight about everything. Um, as, as Christians and Protestants. But I can remember when I was 14 years old and I went into that water and I climbed in and I had this white robe on. And it was the end of this confirmation program that I was a part of. And Pastor Chuck put me into the water with, with three or four of my good and closest friends that we were in this group together. And when I came out of that water, something was different. 
Something changed in me. And, I, and if I sit here and reflect on it, I can, I can feel those feelings. And I can see it as if it happened yesterday to me. But it was an invitation from the Lord to do a physical act of faith. So there's these metaphysical acts and then there's these physical acts of faith that we're invited into. And then Jesus talks about this other act of faith that he talks about being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I know that's also become a controversial thing in the church. But Jesus says that's what's supposed to happen to believers and followers. I'm not making this up. It's in here. Reading straight from the text. Acts chapter 1. John baptized with water. But he said, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. What the heck does that mean? Another invitation for an act of faith. For some it could be metaphysical. For others it could be physical in nature. But apparently that's supposed to happen to, to all the believers who, who say yes to Jesus. And again, like baptism actually, the church has kind of conveniently swept that aside and just said, you need salvation. And I think part of it linked to the Reformation. We, don't, we didn't want to get into acts. that We didn't want our salvation to be tied to any physical act that we did. And so I think that's one of the reasons why water baptism kind of got set by the side over the centuries. And this whole baptism in the Holy Spirit, we have no idea what to do with that. And so we kind of conveniently set that aside as well. I was never in a church in the 20-something years of my life growing up as a kid where this was ever talked about, being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Scripture was read, but they never explained it to me. Nor did they ever offer an opportunity for that to take place. It's in the text. This is not even Old Testament stuff we're talking about. We're not talking about growing hair out or not trimming your beard or eating certain diet foods or wearing certain clothes. We're talking about New Testament church here that we're a part of. That's what we're in right now. We're, in the, we're still in that era, by the way. Until we get to the book of Revelation, y'all are a part of the New Testament church. and f- So we're along for this ride. Whether we get it or we don't get it, that's just what it is. And so we're invited into this. And he says, then they gathered around him and asked, of course, they got a lot of questions. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And I'm not going to get into that this morning, but that's a profound question that they're trying to get at. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. But here we go, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So he says this thing is supposed to happen. And again, keeping in mind, he's already breathed on them. The Holy Spirit has indwelled them. So the Spirit is, is, it's not that the Spirit hasn't come yet and then the Spirit comes. See, there's a difference between indwelling and filling or the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Are you tracking with me? I had to figure this out in my head. It didn't make sense to me. I, I wanted to wrap all these things together in one, but, but Jesus doesn't wrap them all into one. He separates them. And just because I didn't know what it meant didn't, know, didn't mean it wasn't true. Or didn't mean, didn't mean or, or understand what God wanted to have happen. This is not the only time this ever happens when the Spirit falls or fills however you want to define that. I'll put some up just to, for example, several scripture passages. This is not all of them. Luke chapter 1, Mary is filled with the Holy Spirit and she conceives the Savior of the universe within her. In that same gospel in Luke, John the Baptist is born in utero, filled with the Holy Spirit. Figure that one out. 
Okay? Jesus at his baptism, it says the Holy Spirit comes upon him. This is God we're talking about. And yet the Holy Spirit comes upon the human being of Jesus the Christ. Acts 2, we're about to get to in the upper room. The Holy Spirit descends. Acts 4, Peter answers the Jewish rulers, filled with the Holy Spirit, it says. Acts 4, they're in this prayer meeting. Keeping in mind the Spirit falls on them in this profound and powerful way in Acts chapter 2. And then two chapters later, it says that it happens again. So apparently it's not just a one and done thing. That it can happen over and over again, and that's okay. And that's a good thing. Paul talks about that too when he says, I wish that you would all be filled with the Spirit. And actually that Greek word filled is an ongoing over and over again. And a better translation would be, I wish that you were continually filled with the Holy Spirit, is what Paul says. Okay, so they're in this prayer meeting, the Spirit falls on them, the building starts to shake and rattle and roll. Pretty radical thing. Acts chapter 9, Paul is filled with the Holy Spirit when Ananias lays hands on him and he receives his sight. Acts chapter 10, the Spirit falls on Cornelius and those in the house when Peter shows up and he begins to preach to them. These are Gentiles that now the Spirit falls on, and that's this big like, uh, is this okay? And you see Peter wrestling with this. And then Acts 15 is at the council, they wrestle through these things. Acts chapter 13, Paul is filled with the Holy Spirit when he rebukes a sorcerer in the presence of the governor. That's a cool story you should read to your kids, by the way. Acts chapter 19, verse 2, Paul runs into believers who are hanging out in this city and he sees that they're, they're followers of Jesus. Somehow he knows instinctively, or the Spirit of God shows that to him. And he goes over and he says, hey, you guys are followers of Jesus. And they go, yeah, yeah, we believe in Jesus. And he goes, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? They're like, no, no, no. We, we did the water thing with the John you talked about with John. But we're not sure about the Spirit thing. And he goes, well, I can help you with that. And so he prays for them and he lays hands on them and they receive the Holy Spirit and they start to shake, rattle, and roll and it gets pretty wild. That's another good one you should read to your kids. All that to say, Acts 2 is not this exclusive event that was only for this group of people in this sacred upper room. It seems to be something that goes on and on and on. Anything that's directly tied to the work of God and and some sort of powerful movement, there's a description in the scripture, something about the Holy Spirit, something about a filling, something about a movement, something about an empowerment that, that goes right along with it. And those things are tied together. Is what I want you to see. Acts chapter 2. That was all introduction. Here we go. (laughs) Strap in. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Remember, Jesus gave his life, rose from the dead. For 40 days, he taught them. Taught them about the kingdom, taught them about the spirit, breathed on them. The spirit came and indwelled them. And then he ascends to be with the Father. For ten days, they are together in this upper room, praying and worshiping and waiting, because what? They were told to do so. And so they listened to their rabbi. He said, wait, and they waited. And it says, on the day of Pentecost... Something came. Well, what is Pentecost? Pentecost is a Hebrew holiday. The festival of weeks, it's called. In Hebrew, Shavuot. Shavuot is talked about in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. God tells them. He says, okay, Passover comes, and then you plant your first seeds in the ground for the harvest. 
And 50 days later, when that what's called the first fruits of the harvest come up out of the ground, what I want you to do is I want you to cut those down, bring them into the temple, and offer them to me as the first offering. And he says, if you do that and you're faithful to worship me and recognize that it comes from me, then I will bless you. And the crops and the rest of the crops that come out of the ground are for you, but I will bless you in those crops. Are you following with me? Okay. So this is, happens to be that day. They call it Passover. Or not, excuse me, Pentecost. Pentecost in Greek is 50. Okay, that's where we get that from. But in the Hebrew mind, again, it's Shavuot. It's the festival of the weeks. It's where you offer the first fruits. What I believe happens, track with me here, is the first fruits of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit start with 120, but end with 3,000 later that day who give their lives to Jesus. Right? After, after Peter gets up and preaches, 3,000 people give their lives to Christ. That is the first fruits, the first of the harvest to be offered to the Lord. You tracking with me? So according to Shavuot, what had to take place is you planted seeds in the ground and then 50 days later the first fruits came forward. You offered those to the Lord. We see that those first fruits offered to the Lord were 3,000 and at least 120 people that, that came to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior and gave their lives to Christ. If that's the first fruits, let me ask you this question. What was the seed that was put in the ground 50 days before? Jesus. And because he gave his life for us, you see the outpouring of God and just the first fruits. But that's just the beginning. And then it goes from there. Because what does God say? If you offer the first to me, I will bless it and I will give you even more. You're here today because of the first fruits and because of the blessing and the outpouring that God promised to his people. Are you with me? We move on. Verse 2, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven. filled the room, the whole house where they were sitting. <clears throat> this is one of the things that I do when the Spirit comes on me, is I don't like to cry. Lord, I know you're here, and I know you're with me. Oh. This is how God likes to humble people. Oh, so let it be. Ah, here we go. You're next. You've been forewarned. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Here's the interesting thing about this. In this, 
that, that phrase, blowing, in there, is often a tune. If you look at he, the Hebrew and also the Greek, blowing and wind is always of the Holy Spirit. But in this case, it's not. It's not. Luke decides that he wants to take you back to 1 Kings 19 and Isaiah 66 and Exodus 19. Because in those moments, there's descriptions of the movement of God. And what we call theophanies, what theologians call theophanies. And what, what Luke is trying to say here is that God is present. Would you let me get through my sermon and then I can cry all you want? <clears throat> Luke is trying to tell you that God's present. This is not the word used for the Holy Spirit. It's the word used for God. So he says God is here in this place. When this happened, this is there. He's retelling what took place. So God is in this place. And then it moves forward. He says, Then they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Again, can you imagine that moment? That's another image of a theophany of God. There's different places in the scriptures, in Exodus and other, many other places, the, the image of fire that's used is clear of the presence of God. You remember the pillar of fire that led them in the desert. Okay, you remember Moses comes before the burning bush and it's, it's fire that is not consumed. So over and over again, the image of fire is used to represent the presence of God. So again, we have these theophanies in the wind. A great example of that was when Elijah comes out of the cave and he says, uh, the strong wind blew. Okay, same phrase. And then we have fire that comes and it rests upon the people of God who are in that space. I remember one time I was standing in the back worshiping here several months ago, and somebody came up to me, and they said to me, I can see fire above some of the heads of the people in, this, in your church. And I was stunned by that. I shouldn't have been, but I was, and she began to point them out to me. And I thought, yep, that makes sense. Yep, that makes sense. Yep, that makes None of those were surprises. And I was like, all right, let's go. Giddy up. Come on, Lord. How about some more? And then it says in verse 4, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So something happened to them in that upper room that would change them forever. Something different than the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that they'd been given by Jesus prior to that point. Are you with me? So there's these moments where God says, where Jesus says to his people, look, there's certain things I would encourage to happen in your life. One of them is that you would have the Holy Spirit fill you. I heard somebody say once, there's a difference between having the Holy Spirit be in you and you be in the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're invited to. That's, that's what our, our vision is taking us. What does that mean? I don't know. What's going to happen next? I have no idea. But I know this is what God's word says. And, and it wasn't just this kind of experience where you're like, well, that is great, sweet. Then I go home and have frosted flakes. It was, this happens so that you can be empowered to do the work that God wants you to do. It's not just for you. When God works in your life, it's never just for you. 
It's always about the community. It's all about coming together. It's all about empowerment. But it's never just an individualistic experience. That's what Paul is so careful to talk about, the gifts in that way. They're not just for you. You you get them, and it's a lot of fun, but you don't get them to hold on to them. The same thing is true with the Holy Spirit. We've been given the Spirit of God, not so that we can hoard it or, or keep it or just hold it to ourselves and be grateful for God, but then we can let that Spirit pour out of us. And again, so the seed that's planted in the ground can be multiplied. It's the same principle over and over again. It's the invitation for us. I'll share it with you anyway, even though some of you might think I'm, I'm nutty. When I was gone last week, two weeks ago, a week and a half ago, I, I've been praying for this Sunday for a long time. God gave me a vision of people of Washington standing all around the church in in between, not everywhere but the pews and experiencing the power of God. And so I said, all right, Lord, that's what we'll do then. So this is what I want to invite us to do. I have no idea what this is going to look like, how it's going to pan out. Again, I've never been a part of a church service that's done it. But I'm going to go back to my original question and ask you once again if you want more of God. I was having a conversation with my roommate from college who I stayed with on this conference and got to go with, and it was just great to reconnect with him. And we were talking about this, and, and he, again, is learning about this, and he, he, he was talking about, you know, we're trying to make sense of what is baptized in the Holy Spirit, what is filled in the Holy Spirit. What's, and he said, he said, Jimmy, why don't worry about those words. Because I was telling him, I was like, I'm going back to to Washington Church, and I'm going to talk, this is what I'm going to preach on. And he said, don't worry about trying to figure out what all that means. He said, just ask people if they want more of God. He said, skip over all those logistics of, of what is this and what is that, and just ask them simple, because it's the same question, right? Do you want to be filled with the Spirit is the same question of, do you want more of God? And he said, just go with the easy one. I said, that's a good idea, I'll do that. So this morning, this is how we're going to end. I'm going to invite you to respond to the original question, do you want more of God? And this time, in an act of faith, I want to invite you to leave your seat and come and stand in the front, come and stand in the aisles, come and stand somewhere else beside your seats, and take a posture of open reception, basically saying, like as we've been praying for the last 30 days, and this is what it's been leading up to, this is how God is so good. I I wish I could tell you that I planned all this. I didn't. I'm not that good of a planner. But this is what we've been praying for for 30 days as a church community. Lord, put me first. Lord, teach me to walk in obedience. Lord, forgive me. Lord, be with me. That's, that's what Jesus says is happening here in this, this. And then, Lord, use me. And so as I invite you just in a moment, if you are, are ready and willing to say yes to just find a place where you can stand and just come before the Lord and just be open. Just say, Lord, here I am. I want more of you. Or Spirit, fill me. Or Spirit, may I be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Whatever you want to pray, God knows what you're praying. And as we do this, the music's going to play, and, and I'm going to invite the prayer team to come and pray over you. 
So you, ju- you just come before the Lord, and they're just going to come to you and pray over you, pray for you, and we're just going to have a time to offer ourselves to God this morning. That's what we're going to do. And we're going to see what the Lord wants to do with that. Because that's all we can do. All we can do is bring ourselves before God and say, here I am. You do the rest. And that's the good news. We don't have to strive. We don't have to do all this work we think. We, it's not about are we worthy. It's not about have we had our quiet time today. All those things get bypassed and tossed out the window when, when you come to spaces like this. Sacred spaces. Where we just make ourselves available and we say, here I am, Lord. I want more of you. Would you use me? And so right now, I want to invite you to get out of your seats. And if you want to come and stand in these places, and I'm going to pray over you, and then, and then the ministry team or the prayer team is going to come and, and pray over you as well and just lay hands on you. But as you move, find your place and just take an open posture of reception. Just hold your hands up to God. Say, God, here I am. And if you're at home, you can do this too in your living rooms or wherever you're at. Just stand up before the Lord. Make yourself available to God right in this moment. act of faith, we stand before you and we say, here I am. We worshiped, we read in your scriptures, and we want to be obedient to what your text says, and so here we are, putting ourselves in a place of open reception to you, Lord. Father, I ask that you'd pour your spirit out once again, as you did in Acts 2, and you did other places. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would fall in this place in a powerful way. Fall upon your people. Clothe them with power. Give them what they need to do what you've called them to do. Come, Holy Spirit. Come into this place. Right now. Right now. Just maintain an open posture. Just talk to the Lord. Talk to Jesus. Whatever it is you need to talk about, whether it's your life, whether it's sin, whatever it is, lay it all down and make yourself available to the Lord invite the prayer team to come and work your way and and pray over the people. Thanks for listening. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, email us at office at washingtonchurch.org or go to our website, washingtonchurch.org.